Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Lloyd Willis with today's lesson. Good morning, Sabbath School members, and let's ask the Lord to bless us. Lord, please be with us and guide our thinking about your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're studying about theology, the theology of the Bible and how we arrive at it. The uh, Bible, the authoritative source of our theology. And theology is knowledge about God or the study of God and can be study about God uh, as distinct from knowing God. This is knowing about God although that should lead into the latter. So there are different approaches to doing theology. One of them is systematic theology. Another is biblical theology. And there's also historical theology and quite a few others. I'm thinking of the first two, the main ones. Systematic theology is where you take a certain theme, a certain subject, and try to find it throughout Scripture. Uh, for example, uh, the resurrection. You look for the resurrection in the Old Testament. It doesn't occur much, but there's a few occasions. So that is systematic theology. The problem with systematic theology, although it is important, but the problem is that it's very easy for us to superimpose our own ideas on the scripture. Uh, if you're looking for a certain topic, you may find it, whether it's originally there or not. Uh, so it's like you... you have the shape in your mind and you look for that. Systematic theology is where you follow a theme and find support for it in many parts of Scripture. And, and that's fine as long as you're careful with the context. A second approach is biblical theology. In this case, you may go to a certain book, uh, for example, um, Gospel of Matthew, and you look for the themes that run through this. And then uh, one of them appeals to you. So you, you've studied. What does Matthew teach us about this? As he looks at the, at the life and teaching of Jesus. So biblical theology. Take a book. Read it through carefully. Look for its content. Let it speak for itself. Instead of you imposing certain uh, categories on it. So uh, systematic theology is good, but there's a warning that you should be careful not to superimpose your ideas on the Bible. Biblical theology is good because you're learning what God had in mind for us through this particular book. And if we're going to do this responsibly and find the, the teachings of Scripture, there are rules that have been suggested, and I'm going to give them to you quickly because this is good for approach to, to any literature, to bear in mind that there's certain ways that we can do it justice. In the case of steps to exegesis, an exegesis is simply drawing the meaning out of a passage of Scripture, whether it's a verse or a paragraph or a chapter. Draw out what is the meaning that's in there, not eisegesis, where you're reading your ideas into it, but exegesis, drawing it out. So uh, these steps to exegesis were suggested by uh, 
Dr. Uh, Jim Cox at uh, Andrews University many years ago, and I've kept them since. The first part of the list is where you are finding out what the text meant. You're focused on this is what it would have meant to the writer and especially to those that he was writing to. Um, first of all, establish the best text. Well, we may not have the tools to do that, but take several good Bible translations. And there are some that are much more uh, careful and accurate than others. Uh, you could say the, uh, the New International Version, the RSV is very good, the New American Standard Bible, the Jerusalem Bible. Uh, King James Version is good, but there are some places where the text needs to be uh, corrected as we found more of the ancient manuscripts. So find the best text to make sure that we understand what the text is really saying. A paraphrase uh, is interesting and helpful, but it is not the best way when you're doing uh, an in-depth study. The second, find the sense unit. What sort of hangs together in the topic? Is it one verse that stands out on its own, or a paragraph, or a chapter? Uh, so look at the sense unit and identify that. Thirdly, study the context. What is the plan or argument or approach of this book or section of a book? Is it a united discourse? Is it a collection? Is it an anthology like the Psalms? So uh, find the context in the literary sense. Number four, look up any word meanings that are not absolutely clear to you. A good Bible dictionary is helpful to do that. Um, number five, study the grammar. Is the grammar very helpful? Does it really clarify what is being said here, or does it leave it ambiguous? Uh, are there several possible meanings to it? So consider the grammar in order to arrive at as clear as possible what the Bible meant at the time it was written. Number six, look at the geographical context. Where was the book written? Uh, the physical context is sometimes helpful. It gives us some clues to help in understanding what the message is all about. Uh, number seven, the historical context, the chronology. When was it written? Uh, what were the circumstances? What were the sociological and spiritual conditions and relationships at the time and place of writing? That all gives us a historical context. Then the eighth step, completing what the text meant, is then go to comparisons. Comparisons and enrichment. Uh, see what other scriptures say ab about this topic. Uh, see what commentaries say. See what Ellen White has to say on the, on the topic. You'll get special insights through these comparative uh, input, through the comparative input. Then, having done those eight steps to determine what the text meant, as near as we can, using all those steps, then you go to what the text means today. That's the application. So this is number nine, the homiletic step. How does this passage apply to me, to my family, to my church in 2020 AD? That has to be based on what the text meant back there, 
but we are, it is important that we now see what it means for us today. Now, in, in terms of Adventist background, back in the 19th century, when the church was first being formed, they looked for theology. They had so many different backgrounds. There were, uh, well, James White was of the Christian connection. Ellen White was a Methodist. Hiram Edson was a Methodist. Uh, Joseph Bates belonged to the Fairhaven Christian Church, and so on. Lots of different backgrounds. So what did they believe? They had to get together and, and study the Scripture carefully to determine what the Bible really taught. And we'll go into that more uh, next, next Sabbath, next, next topic. So lay aside prejudices and preconceived ideas. What does the Scripture really teach? And this is what they did back there in the Bible Sabbath conferences of 1848 and 1849, 1850. For several years, there were many groups that met together, usually the same group, uh, 20, up to 30, 40, even 50 people who would spend a weekend usually or Friday and Sabbath or Friday till Sunday going into different topics and allowing the Bible to convince them of what its real teaching was on different on different topics. So now we come to today's lesson, and it's talking about the Bible being the source of our theology, the authoritative source. And I can't help asking, why do you do what you do, and why do you believe what you believe? That's a good question. The quarterly suggests that there are five major uh, authorities or supports for our actions and beliefs. They are listed in the introduction there. There's tradition. We all have a tradition. There's experience. There's culture. There is reason and there's the Bible itself. What we're saying is the Bible itself really should uh, dominate or, or at least um, have heavy input on all of the others, but uh, we're interested in knowing what does the Bible uh, teach us and, and, and how do we relate what it teaches to these other inputs to our, to our way of life. And the first one is the one that Jesus reacted to particularly, that is tradition. So uh, what is tradition? Well, I suppose it's beliefs and practices that are passed on to us, usually from our parents, our, our church, our background. And Jesus warned about this in Mark chapter 7, the first 13 verses. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. This is referring to the Jewish practice of ceremonial washing. Up to, the, up to the elbow, I understand, and very thoroughly done before any meal. You had to do that or you were breaking tradition. And there's nothing wrong with washing your hands, as we, as we know at the moment. It's a very important activity. But Jesus is saying, if you go down to verse 7, this is Mark chapter 7 and verse 7. Um, I'll read from verse uh, Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, 
Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. In the King James Version, verse 7 reads, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So there's nothing wrong with having these beliefs and practices. In most cases, they, they may be quite good. But the problem is, in the mind of Jesus, that they are doing this as doctrine. It comes from man. They are human commandments. But they are being taught as doctrines or theology from Scripture. And yet, they, they actually see them as more important than the actual Scriptures. So Jesus is saying that is the wrong approach. In uh, Isaiah 29 and verse 13, it's very similar. So it shows that this has been a long-standing problem. Isaiah 29 verse 13 says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. The Good News Bible uh, does it interestingly and says, um, the Lord said, these people claim to worship me, but their words are meaningless and their hearts are somewhere else. Their religion is nothing but human rules and traditions which they've simply memorized. So there's a danger in putting our tradition alongside of, or even more important than Scripture. So we all have traditions. Traditions may be good or bad, but uh, if they supplant Scripture, they're certainly not good. And uh, I suppose we should ask ourselves, do we have traditions? Of course we do. Are some of them distinctive Adventist traditions? Not necessarily good or bad. For example, uh, what time should we have our church service on Sabbath, 11 o'clock, okay? Maybe we're getting away from that a bit today because in some places they have two services and sometimes they have an afternoon service. In places in, in India where uh, the people are sort of starved for the Word of God, they may come long distances and arrive by lunchtime and then they have their service. And if the preacher sits down after two hours, they're disappointed and they ask him to keep going. It doesn't need to be at 11 o'clock and it doesn't need to be just 20 minutes. So the, the word of God, how we interpret it, where it is preached, these can become traditions. We have a tradition in the Adventist church that we have the communion service once a quarter. It's not biblical. It's not wrong. But it's just an option that uh, has become a tradition in the Adventist church. Uh, how we do it. Uh, I believe there was a big discussion at the General Conference once about uh, uh, whether we should have uh, used paper towels for, uh, for the uh, communion service and the, the foot washing. This is not a biblical question, and, and it may concern our tradition, but uh, tradition is not to control our theology. 
remember that. In 1 Corinthians 11, 2, it says, Hold on to the teachings that have been passed on to you. So the teachings of Scripture are, are basic, and they are where we begin, and they should be the, uh, the input that we follow consistently. In the quarterly, it says, This faithfulness generates a certain tradition. Our faithfulness, however, always needs to be loyal to the living God who has revealed his will in the written word of God. Thus the Bible holds a unique role that supersedes all human tradition. The Bible stands higher and above all traditions, even good ones, traditions that grow out of our experiences with God and his word constantly need to be tested against the meaning, the measuring role, rod of Holy Scripture. Now, the Jews had many of these traditions, and uh, one of them was, for example, that you're not supposed to spit on the ground on the Sabbath because that's irrigating. Now, I think that when these rules were originally made, they probably, lest to be charitable, they probably had good intentions. Uh, they wanted to safeguard the Sabbath. And so you could do this, but you couldn't do this. And spelling it out like that sort of undermined the spirit of Sabbath observance. That was the problem that Jesus seems to have had, had with it. Um, I had a, a Jewish friend in Israel. I used to stay in their home. And his wife talked to me about this. And she defended this approach. She said, but we need to know exactly what God wants and what he doesn't want. So uh, let's not make sure that the, the traditions do not take the place of the, uh, the Word of God and its teachings. All right, let's go on quickly. Experience. Um, experience also teaches us. Uh, in Romans 2.4, it says God's kindness leads us to repentance. So as we experience a kindness and a closeness to God, that can lead us to repentance. Experience has value, but it is not the Word of God. So experience needs to be watched carefully too. Uh, our minds can be easily led astray. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 1 to 3 talks about Eve being led astray. So our experience can be good or bad, but it should not be controlling. Culture. Uh, John Pauline says that the, uh, the fish that the water swims in is like culture. He's hardly aware of it, but it's still there. And we all have a culture that is our, our context. And so uh, we need to make sure that our culture does not lead us contrary to Scripture or replace the authority of Scripture. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it talks about not loving the things of the world. And world there seems to mean worldliness. Don't be worldly in your mindset. Let God lead you and let your values come from Scripture. The, uh, the fourth of these is reason. The fourth of these ways that we uh, come to our actions and thoughts and beliefs. And so uh, reason is mostly positive, but... Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord. So that sort of is an input that, yes, there's reason, but reason that begins with the word of the Lord. 
um, in uh, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I think that's the one I just read. Uh, and Proverbs 9.10. Traditional uh, traditions, culture, experience, and reasons each have input, and, and they, they are reasonable for giving us a basis for what we're doing. But where there is conflict, the Bible is the controlling factor. It overrides all these other teachers. The, uh, the reasons of human have come to say that there's no miracles, no prophecies, no divine interventions, as we mentioned last week. But reason has its limitations. That's a, a way of thinking that uh, has tended to lead people astray. In John 5, 46 and 47, uh, John points out uh, Jesus' observation, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So there's the control. Our theology must come from Scripture, and uh, if we have Scripture being our ultimate authority, then we're on safe ground. Tradition, culture, reason, and experience will all have reasonable input, but uh, they will not be the dominant authority which is the Word of God. Dear Lord, we thank you for being with us, and we pray for your Word to become more important in our lives, to be the authority that we lean on and look to, to show us how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.